welcome to full release with Samantha Beat. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. As a woman of many talents, I have both a podcast and a TV show. <laughs> Please hold your applause. But my TV show is not on this week because of baseball or something like that. I don't know. Go team. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode more than usual since it's the only dose of me you're going to get this week. As always, I'm joined by my producers. It's via Baron Reinstein and Adam Howard. Okay, podcast gals. Speaking of sports, today we're being joined by a literal Olympian, Adam Rippon. Adam is a dear friend of the show and an incredibly accomplished figure skater. I'm always so curious how skaters come up with the music for their routines. If you had to choose a song to skate a routine to, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> what <laughs> well, are we skating to, folks? F- uh, fun fact. I have never ice skated in my life. Oh I've my never God. <laughs> worn ice skates. Or Ever? Been, never, yeah. Wow. I don't know if it's like a cultural thing, but like we never went ice skating as a family. And then I think maybe like once or twice in my life, I've been invited to like an ice skating party type of thing. But I was okay. like, I don't think this is the place that I want to <laughs> learn. Horrible, yeah, what a terrible um, way place to learn. Yeah. So that just putting that aside, I think I would go uh, with uh, N-Words in Paris because uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs. It opens with uh, dialogue from the Will Ferrell ice skating movie, Blades of Gory. They're like, we're going to skate to one oh, song, one song okay. only. So it's kind of like a cool intro and okay. i've never seen anybody figure skate to hip-hop so i feel like i could own that oh um, <laughs> that's, that's great yeah. i'm sorry that we've never taken you skating it's wow. okay. i think I that ship has passed <laughs> or at least i mean when, when my child comes i think i'm going to mm-hmm. be experiencing a lot of things for the first time like i've never read harry potter i'm like i'll do that with my kid in theory oh, yeah, babies love that okay Stuff babies like that. love harry potter <laughs> well you know they're gonna be with me for a while i mean <laughs> <laughs> I remember I am a terrible skater, even though I uh, obviously I've done it on our TV program. Yeah. Oh, really, yeah. Adam really with Adam Rabant. And I can't do like, I mean, I, I just am never going to learn it. And I really wanted to learn and just could not learn as a child. Just, it just, no one had the patience to teach me. My parents were like, just do it. And I was like, <laughs> I can't, I need more than that. And then when I was in college, I was like, I really want to learn how to skate. And we, it was a very wintry. I lived in a very cold city in Canada where the river would freeze over and you would like skate on the on the Rideau Canal. And uh, and my friends were like, we're going to teach you to skate. We're going to bring our friend. He's a really good skater. And he was uh, like a Russian gold medal <laughs> speed skater. Perfect. So when he showed up, he was in a leotard and he absolutely had... Well, it, like, can you have less than zero interest in something? He had negative <laughs> interest in helping me learn how to skate. That's all I'm going to say. Svia, what would you what would you skate to? Um, I feel like I would almost wing it because I have so little. I also know how to skate, but I have so little confidence in my ability. And to distract the judges from that, I feel like I would choose, I would just find whatever the most popular song in the world that day was. Okay. Like the hottest new Olivia Rodrigo bop. Sure. And I would choose that and it would completely distract everyone because they would be so excited that they loved the song. <laughs> that they wouldn't even care what I was doing. Hey, nobody's all watching. The board. Oh my God. This is a very good idea. Take the, the, the distraction 
Exactly. Because I think people get so excited when they're like, oh, wait, I love this song. That's cool that they're skating to it. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, that doesn't usually happen. It's usually like a, a classical bit. I get that. I get that. And then when you go to a skating rink, like when you go to a proper skating rink, it's always Eye of the Tiger. Right. <laughs> bon Jovi. It's always Bon Jovi. And then like uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Right. Or something like that. It's, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. We are going to take a quick break, but we have Adam Ripon coming. So stay with us. Joining me today is Olympic figure skater Adam Rippon. In addition to just rocking his spandex, Adam won a bronze medal at the 2018 Winter Olympics before retiring from competitive skating. That same year, he also appeared alongside me in Full Frontal's Christmas on Ice, but please don't make him say which one was a bigger deal to him. He is a co-host of MTV's Messiness and is the author of the memoir, Beautiful on the Outside. And also he's been featured on the Time 100 Most Influential People list. I love talking to him. So please welcome to the show, Adam Rippon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm a little jealous because your headphone setup seems to be in the right year and mine is truly like iPhone commercial 2007. (laughs) This is very, these are fake. This is just a sculpture. (laughs) This is pretend. (laughs) A prop. It's so nice to see you. Okay, tell me where you are right now. Where? Okay, right now, um, I'm home in um, in LA. Which Mm -hmm. well, that's kind of fake. I live in Pasadena, which (gasps) is like, yeah. Have you have you been to Pasadena? Of course. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a dumb question. I love Pasadena so much. Pasadena is great. I think it's beautiful. I love it. It's one of the first California cities I ever saw because I had an aunt who lived in Pasadena. And it's so me. We, it's you. You're my <laughs> yeah. aunt who lives in Pasadena. When I was a little girl, I was like, this is incredible. What is this magical? And South Pasadena is also very beautiful. And anyway, we almost moved there. We could have been neighbors. We, really? Yeah. And what then stopped you? I got this job. And okay. then I was like, okay, I have to do it in, I obviously have to do it in New York. It's like kind of a New york type of show. So, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, okay, that's a good reason not to be here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, it's but you're welcome only, anytime. It's the only acceptable reason it, it for is. not being there. Yeah, you, TBS you, is the mm-hmm. only exemption from living that, in Pasadena. That's right. So much has happened since I last saw you. So much has happened. Yeah. Tell me you're engaged. This is incredible. I know. Yeah, I am engaged. That's exciting. You actually you met my fiance briefly when um, I last saw you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we got engaged. Um, and I know that you are a foreigner yourself. Yes. So you know that the process is like crazy. Yeah. He's Finnish. So, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So we were going to, um, we were going to get married last summer and Mm -hmm. then just like kind of do everything in, um, in like reverse, like get married and then like apply for paperwork and stuff. And then with the pandemic, we were like, well, we should just do it like the way that they suggest, which is like the K1 visa, the famous 90 day fiance visa. Oh, and it's, See, I'm telling you, I'm just kind of like spitting out what I learned through the okay. process. Yes. That like the 90 day part is only when all of that is done and they and that your partner can come over here and then you have okay. 90 days to get married. Okay. But that first 
part of it takes like over a year. So he hasn't been here in like almost, we're kind of going on two years that he hasn't been in the U.S. Oh my God. Yeah. What? Listen, we're both shocked. You and I. I'm really, really shocked. So have you been, have you met in the middle? Like, can you go to Finland? Like, yes. So okay. I've gone, I think, let's ballpark it at uh-huh. three times. Okay. And um, the the last time I was there was a few weeks ago for two weeks. And then the uh-huh. time before that, I was over there for three months, like over the holidays. Okay. I got to celebrate the insurrection in That's- Finland. <laughs> <laughs> That's really where you want to be when we're having. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? There's no better place to be. No. Oh my God. I, I can't, I've never been to Finland, but honestly, I picture it being very, um, Finnish people are really neat. I think they're really neat. Like they're, you know what <laughs> they are because I think so many things are like taken care of in Finland that there is like less of an incentive to leave. Right. <laughs> so, so they're not trying to go, oh, get my, get this over there. Let's, what do they think right. of that? So like so many really brilliant artists and people and designers, like oh, so much of that stays in Finland. Right. And it's like one of the last places I feel like you can go to and you're like, wait, I've never seen that before. Right. Oh, that's cool. I Which is wanted, cool. And they're very like family. cut and dry where, you know, like, you know, if we eat something and we're like, it's bad. And mm-hmm. someone asks us, how is it? And we go, you know, I've never had it before. Right. And <laughs> and I'm still, I don't know. I might come around to it. But like, if you ask my fiance, he'll go, oh, it's horrible. That's and you're garbage. Like, That's the wrong answer. <laughs> well, I feel like I have had so many Finnish people in my life. I don't know why. Just an accident <laughs> of my life. It's great. And they, everyone who's Finnish has like the absolute darkest sense of humor that you've ever experienced. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a very... A yeah, it's a very true and accurate assessment of also my time in Finland. But I, I love going there. It's great. Wow, that's great. Okay. The last time we spoke, we were talked about how you should be hosting all of these things. And you were like <laughs> a born entertainer. And here you are, like entertaining the masses. So you were, okay, you're hosting all kinds of things. But first, let's talk about the Olympics. Because you were a commentator. Mm-hmm. And you did an incredible job. What was that like? Thank you. I mean, what a crazy. Well, it was uh, it was crazy a little bit for like a few reasons. I think yeah. the first reason was that like I had this like PTSD of going back to an Olympics mm. for the first time, like as not a competitor. Right. And so like, you know, um, I'm getting on the plane and it's just like I start to get a little bit like anxious. Um, one, because we're, you know, we're in a pandemic, but sure. that's fine. And uh, the second was like, I think the last time I had been on a run was maybe like three years ago. Wow. So here I am going to an Olympics with no running experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm probably in the worst shape I've ever been in heading to an Olympics. I got over that really quickly. Okay. And then um, to be honest, to be at an Olympics, especially the one that we were just at where there were no spectators, was... Um, eerie, but it was like beautiful. And it felt, I felt so proud and honored to like be there. Right. But I, but it was very odd where it's like, you know, someone's having the biggest moment of their life and I'm sitting in like the second row, like, like, stop looking at me, Simone. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's really like, it's very odd to be like the only person there. 
Right. But it was incredible. It really was very cool. So are people, because, you know, you're so accustomed to having an audience there. I mean, I guess people would say the same thing of my job. And Your it's show, not the same, right? Yeah. But it's not really the same. It's like, that's like when you're an elite athlete, the crowds are massive and people are like screaming and there's flags. And that's really how much a part of the overall experience. Like, is that, is that important to the experience itself? Do you get, you must get fed by the audience like somewhat, right? I think it's super similar to like the way that you would do your show. Right. I'm sure there are moments where it's like, you have all your jokes ready, you go out and you, you're like, okay, they're funny. I know that. And then Mm -hmm. you can start saying them and speaking them. But like when you're performing them, you like feed off of that like energy. Right. In the same way that like you perform, like if you're feeling a little bit nervous, sometimes that adrenaline and that like, I don't want to fuck up in front of people like takes over and you're like, (laughs) ta-da. And um, there's a bit of that. I will say that like no spectators doesn't mean that the arena is like empty because right. at an Olympic games, have you ever covered an Olympics yourself? No, no, I've never. That been. is actually shameful. And I'm going to yes. have to work on that. I'm embarrassed right now. I'm feeling but a lot you know of what? shame. Don't be because okay. you can learn, you can grow. Okay. And then, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah, yeah. You. <laughs> it must be weird for you having people perform down the barrel of your eyeballs because that's, that's very personal. Yeah. And I will say that like now being removed from like Olympic sports and then Mm -hmm. just having like been plopped back in like years later. Yeah. I now see the insanity of it all where it's like, Mm. Oh, you are waiting four years for like two minutes. (gasps) And, and you're like, as an outsider now I'm going, ah, that seems a bit crazy as any reason. <laughs> are we going to talk about that? Should we think, rethink this? Yeah. <laughs> like that's who workshop this. Who, yeah, who made this up? What do, you, what do you think that people don't understand about the type of scrutiny that elite athletes experience? Because that even just hearing you say it mm-hmm. gives me, gives me sweats. Oh, like it makes me physically, I get jitters in my yeah. stomach. Honey, I'm sweating. Okay. And I think the biggest thing is that like, no matter who you are or what you've done, the general public outside of your own sport bubble is seeing you and experiencing you as a competitor and as a person for the very first time. So even if you have this like Mm. incredible pedigree in your own world and everyone knows who you are and you've done this and you've done that and, and the other and you show up and you don't perform at an Olympics, right. it's almost like everything you've done before is then forgotten and you're remembered for what happened there. Oh my God. Because it's like, especially in like all of these sports, like especially in the niche, like very Olympic specific sports, like figure skating and, and gymnastics, swimming, people watch that year round and they compete in it year round. But like there are for the first time every four years, all of these millions and millions of eyes, and they see who you are for the very first time. Right. And they see, oh, are you reliable? Are you strong? Are you fun to watch? Like all of that. They make all of those decisions in those two minutes. And sometimes it's, you know, you only compete at an Olympics once. I only competed once. And so um, that's the biggest thing. And it's always, it's like in the back of your head where it's like, this is it. It Mm -hmm. just, it's, you know, it, it comes and it goes really quickly. 
when you're training, how much focus or like how much attention goes to th- working on that part of your brain <laughs> to help to help you like kind of you kind of must have to bifurcate your brain a little bit so that you're like I compartmentalize this anxiety like I'm going to put this over here while I do this like how do you actually do that I think like to be a really good athlete and I think successful in sort of like any avenue is you can't be that in on yourself right and you can't really know or really think too much about what's going on around you because the stakes are only as high as you make them in the moment. Okay. And it's easy to like look and go, oh my God, like what I just saw was like insanity. And like, you know, someone's waiting four years or their whole life for that one moment. But mm-hmm. when you're living in it, it doesn't feel so much like that. I will say like at an Olympics, you need to be so like well-trained and prepared that you can just go like on autopilot and you just can't think about anything. You need to be able to like check out, which is why I think so many people are like, I barely remember what I did there. Right. Because you can't like, you have to just be on autopilot because it's so, um, it's so overstimulating to be there. Right. Having stepped back from it, are you appreciating all of the conversations that are being had now about mental health? in sport. Yeah, I am appreciating them a lot. And I do. And I'm super grateful for athletes like Naomi Osaka and um, for Simone Biles, which I do think are two different, completely different like scenarios. Because I think if you look at someone like Naomi, one, she made, I think, $30 million in the pandemic. Wow. Okay. Without playing in a match. So, okay. You're a young kid, kid, $30 million. You've already won all of these other championships. You don't need to do anything the rest of your life. You you don't need to, you don't need to work a single day. You can stay here in Pasadena with me. And if it were Naomi, I'd even let her stay here rent free if she wanted, as long as she wants. Of course. Of course. And so, there's got to be this like kind of like letdown. All the goals that you've had and everything are just kind of like whatever. And so I think for someone like Naomi to kind of talk about what, you know, dealing with the media is like and how it affects her, it's really important. And it needed to be someone like her because if it was somebody who wasn't as accomplished as her or or revered in her world, the thing about it is that, you know, Naomi has the potential to win. Like, let's say that there's another girl out there who has the potential to be in the top 10. That girl says the media affects her. Everybody looks at her and goes, okay, well, she's weak next. Right. So that's, it's not like nobody's ever tried to have the conversation, right. but it's so important when someone at the top has it, cause they have the privilege to be able to go, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'll just pay the fine, whatever. And then that, it really takes someone like that to get the ball rolling. Right. I think with Simone, There are times where like truly when you have to check out and like be focused on what's happening. And I think that like, I mean, it's so easy, like in hindsight to go, I think this is what happened. Right. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, I, Simone, come here. And I, I whisper in her ear and she punches me in the face. (laughs) And so I think in retrospect, like there was so much talk of like Simone, the goat that like, it was very hard to have this like separation of like church and state, like who's Simone and who's Simone Biles. Right. And so that overlap is like blurred a bit, 
where there's so much pressure and that like sensation that she's feeling of like she can't find herself in the air is like a culmination of so much pressure. Right. Right. And I think at that point, it's not brave to push through something that's so dangerous. Yeah. And it is a huge pill to swallow and a very like honorable thing to step away in that moment where you're like, it's just, I can't, I can't trust myself. You know, in the same gymnastics competition, there was this Russian guy who, um, he's, he said he tore his Achilles and it was like three or four months before the games. Okay. And he like pushes through and, um, he helps his team win the team gold medal in gymnastics. And in sports, we really like, we revere the person who pushes through, but like, who knows what kind of issues he's going to have, like walking later in his life. But the difference is, is that like, you know, he's an adult, he's 25 years old. He has a better idea of what the repercussions can be and what the risk versus reward would be. And it's like a decision he's making, but it's like the same, they make a relatively same, like, how will I push through? Is it worth the risk and the reward? Right. And it's like, you know, we revere one and we kind of look down at the other, even though they're both like honorable choices. Right. So the problem lies within us. <laughs> I mean, really, but like we're awful. We are actually the problem. <laughs> we are. But like, I actually, you know, post, you know, after all of this, I just keep seeing things now, you know, that are just like old YouTube videos of young, young gymnasts who are like, I did this and my ankle was broken. And they're just like smiling through the routine and they have like bodily, just physical damaging ruptures that are happening and they're just completing the action and doing a great job yeah. for their team. And I'm like, we were all here watching this and totally okay with it. Right. Or like we were like, whatever. We were like, well, she's for, she'll bounce back. <laughs> their bodies heal differently. It heals a lot faster. You have two ankles. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's see like with, with like, let's say like Carrie Strug, who like was saying that she was totally injured after that mm-hmm. first vault. And then that famous vault that we like will go down in Olympic history. We'll still watch it because it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Her versus the Russian gymnast I'm talking about. The biggest difference with that, I think, is consent. Because right. how can a 15 or 16 year old girl consent? She doesn't have the same level of like world knowledge or what does she want out of her life? And it's there are adults in charge of her. In the other scenario, there aren't adults in charge of this 25-year-old man who has a wife and a child already. Right, right. So the biggest difference is consent, but it is crazy. And I think like I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who's like uh who is also I skated with. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that like I think sometimes we think about like what we went through as like athletes ourselves in the early like 2000s. And there's just like so much like verbal abuse that like was so normal and like of the time. And, but I think that like, if we look back at it, we're like, that would never fly now. But I think the generation before us was like the generation that got like hit. So like we weren't getting hit. So it's like, that's good. Well, no one hit us with a stick right. to make us skate faster and better. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> oh, my 
like it's not dissimilar in the entertainment world where you're just like, I, you know, when I started my job, people's not this particular job, but like people would, you know, you'd go to auditions or you'd like be up for something and people would be like, you are, no, you're too ugly. Or like, you know, <laughs> or like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I know, you know, I listened to, when I was in Finland, I listened to your episode of um, Armchair Expert. And I was oh. listening to some of the things that you were saying and was like, mm-hmm. it was just the times where mm-hmm. like people thought that they were being upfront with you or they thought that they were being powerful. Yes. And we didn't have like so much access to like what was going around or people sharing their experiences. So like that was just like normal. Oh, yeah. And I was listening to some of the things that you were saying where somebody was like, no, not pretty. No, no. Yeah, like getting <laughs> screamed at. Like I would get screamed at on set. <laughs> like screamed would at. Would you like, really? Humiliated. Oh, like humiliated. Many for years. I mean, like. <laughs> oh, my God. And that was by your family, <laughs> yeah. which was and crazy. That was my, yeah, my, that was my, yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, and it was just sort of like, well, I'm learning. Like I ingested the patriarchy. I'm like, well, this is how we learn in this business. This is how we learn to do this. Yes. <laughs> we just get screamed at. Yeah. And now, I mean, my goodness. And of course, there's so much. Oh my God. And there we have so much further to go. It's like this is such an interesting conversation. Cause like, how do you teach young athletes the boundaries of their body? Like yes. teaching people boundaries. And how do you teach like it's um I think that like when you go to somewhere where like in it, especially like athletes in Russia who are incredible and, and, and amazing. But I do think that there's this different culture of like, we, this is how you have to train them like a dog to have success. And the crazy thing about so much of that trauma is that it does lead to success. That's the caveat where like, that's what is so challenging. Like, where do we draw the line right. and how do you teach someone what is too much and what is pushing past your limit to be great? And right. it's this huge limit because I do think it's completely eye-opening to the entire world and especially to like the U.S. as a culture when we see the women's gymnastics. Yes. When we got, we l- take a step back and we were like, oh my God, we were exactly like what you were saying earlier. Like we are, we were a part of all of that. Yeah. And there is going to be this like back and forth and like huge, I think, shift in the way that they coach those athletes moving forward that like it's going to be a balance of like trying to figure out like what's a healthy way to push someone to be great and also to be like mindful and healthy mentally and physically. Yes. Yes. Everything that you're saying. Yes. Like how do you how do you like harness adversity (laughs) yes it is (laughs) and it's like adverse conditions when you are training and your body doesn't want to do it and so you are just like inherently punishing yourself yes but what's a healthy level of adversity right because i wonder if in your own experience like we're talking about like oh people were yelling at me and this and that Mm -hmm. like i wonder if you're in your own experience do you feel it's my podcast now by the way and do you feel (laughs) do you feel that you look back and you say well, I'm really glad that happened to me because it made me this. Yeah. Well, I don't like I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't think I would have learned how to do my job as quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 
it steals your will in a really specific <laughs> way. It makes you a hard-hearted person. <laughs> right. So well, there's some of it where you're like, that pushed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so I don't it's, know. That's like, my Don Jr. Republican talking point of like. <laughs> it's a very, but you, what you're saying, like it's a balance. It's like. Yes. It's like, I, this is such a, this is such a micro, micro story, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because I put my, my son is 13. So I make him take piano lessons and he absolutely fucking hates it. Like he can't so mad. He does not want to do it. And I'm like, you have to, I'm like, I don't ask much. I actually very uh, cool mom. Like I'm like very yes. I was so active in his life. I'm like, and he was like, why won't you let me quit this? Why will you not let me quit this? I was like, this is my one thing. I'm like, I'm, this is adversity that I'm putting in my life <laughs> because you don't have enough of it. <laughs> you just need like one little thing. Yes, It's not hurting you. It's only helping you. It's helping you in ways that you can't measure right now, but you'll be really happy when you're 30 that I made you do this. Anyway, I think I just solved everything. I, 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 solved I do problem. too. That's the yeah. balance. Mm-hmm. Was it weird that we have a former president who was like actively rooting <laughs> against American Olympians and getting cheered for that? Yes. Like what the hell? I would say that um, my honest opinion is, yeah, it was weird. Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that like in my life on earth, yeah. I had never seen anything like that. And um, I think that especially that 2018 games, mm-hmm. I had never seen like the family of the president pick and choose athletes and would like cherry pick them according to like literal background or belief. And like during the most important moment of their lives, Mm-hmm. separate them from the rest of the whole thing and be like, go Team USA, except this motherfucker right here at whomever. Yeah. And you're like, what is what? going on? Shave your veneers and come back. Have a water and reset. I, it's so unimaginable. Like, I don't, did it cause you to, I felt, I felt like, that derangement syndrome was real because I felt it. I was like, I don't even know. Like I can't even, I don't have any way to frame this or this cannot be real, but it really was real. (laughs) And then also like when that family and when that person speaks of you, it is, it actually unleashes like a lot of winged monkeys into your life. So it actually must be very distracting and horrifying to be that individual who's being spoken about. It's terrible. I would say that like the, biggest blessing of it happening at an Olympics is that it's like, yes, it's one of the most important moments of your life, but having now been there on the other side of it to see what's really going on, like media wise and having experienced it as an athlete, I didn't really realize like the constraints of living in like an Olympic bubble, because even though we can hear and we can see everything, all of like the coverage that we watch is like owned by NBC. Right. And so if you're not in the United States, it's all blocked from you. So you can't watch any of it. It's all geo-blocked. Okay. So you can't watch it outside of the U.S. Okay. So you're blocked from all the footage and all the coverage and all of that. So you can only see like the tweets and this and that, which still feel like a lot. 
but it's a lot less than like being able to like watch and hear these people say these things. Okay. That's good. So there is this constraint of like living in that Olympic bubble and in all of the craziness, I just reminded myself that like everything I was reading or feeling, it was just on my phone. Like it wasn't really happening around right. me. I was like, it's just this box right. and I can put the box down and it doesn't need to be part of my reality because in my reality around me, it's not. Right. It's not real life. It's just right. this thing. It's just an outside tool. And I just put it in a, I just completely compartmentalized. Oh, thank God. Have you always been a political person? No, no. Oh, I no. I think the first time I remember thinking about politics was, um, I remember my mom took me to go vote. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was voting, I was like a young kid. And I remember, I don't remember this specifically, but my mom told me that I was sobbing, crying when I was there, begging people not to vote for Bob Dole. And I didn't, I don't know why. And I still know nothing about Bob Dole, but I remember my mom was like, Adam, stop, stop. And I was like, please don't vote for Bob Dole, please. And I, I don't like literally my mom never talked about Bob Dole, but I had such a strong feeling that he shouldn't have been the president and he wasn't. So I do want to say that what I did at that Montessori church was kind of an act of patriotism. (laughs) I was the original patriot. This is very impactful. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so curious about how you ingested so much information about Bob Dole as a youngster. Yeah, I didn't. I I was just, I guess, spitting out a talking point. Please don't do this. Anyone but Bob Dole. And I I just remember, because I think that I thought he had something to do with, like, the Dole bananas. And I just, I I think, like, as a child, it was just, like, a lot of really conflicting feelings of, like, Bob Dole, he's, Mm -hmm. you know, the bananas. I feel like your impulse was correct. I mean. We all got there. However you got there. (laughs) You weren't really, you weren't wrong. Right. <laughs> right. I basically was saying, don't vote for the Jill Stein of our time. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, you won Dancing with the Stars. I know. Weird, right? That's great. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> like, of course. I mean, I feel like as soon as I knew that you were going to be on it, I was like, well, you're going to win because this is what you do. This is, it's perfect. I would say like the biggest advantage I had was like that I have performed to music and in a costume before. Right. And then like everything else, like if I had to explain it was Mm -hmm. like, you know how if you meet someone who speaks another language, they can teach you like one sentence. Yeah. And if you have a few days, you can say that one sentence like perfectly. Yes. That's what dancing with the stars is like. So like each dance is like learning one sentence in a different language, even though you have no idea what you're saying and no idea what it means. So you're just like repeating what you've like learned. So, you know, sometimes I'll like talk about it and they're like, well, what's it like to know how to dance now? And I'm like, I, I still don't know how. That's so interesting. That's such an interesting way to frame it. Because like you just learn this like literal, like small fragment. You learn like, you don't even learn like basic technique. They try, you know, you don't have a lot of time. So you learn like a little bit of it. And then you go right into like just learning this like one little routine. So you don't truly know how to like 
Well, and now I can salsa dance. Now I do it perfectly. You're <laughs> right. No, you don't. You just know how to do this one specific 30 second routine. Did any of the routines live with you? Like, are you like, I do this one thing now that I never did before? Like, I, I don't Sometimes, know. I mean, obviously, um, I'm a man of the arts. Of so course. I do every once in a while love to do like a little like cha-cha thing. Of course. It's the nice. one thing that stuck with me, as it would, I think, any reasonable person. You you have your own flourishes, but you can you can never add too many flourishes. You know, why not? Exactly. Listen, you can't replace the classics. No, you the cannot. The cha-cha being one of them. These are classics for a reason. Mm-hmm. Well, they're making headlines because they have their first same-sex couple. They do. And that's my partner who I danced with. I don't know who you danced with. I yeah, think that's so she amazing. Is, too yeah. long. Did it, t- it took too long, but... Here we are. I think it needs to be really genuine to like the person competing. Yeah. Because when I did it, I didn't want to dance with a guy. I wanted to dance with a girl. I don't know why. I just did. Because I think yeah. it's like what I saw. And it's like what I wanted to to do. I wanted yeah. to like be the leader. And I think that like when we think about dance as a whole, so many of like in um, some of the dances, they were originally like men dancing with each other because it was more of like a like the peacock showing the feathers of like who can beat who who is like who will dominate the dance um and there's no like female or male role there's just a leader and a follower right and so i think like for jojo who like i did not see myself becoming a jojo siwa fan but here i am um and i think with the way that she's just so open with who she is and I think her dancing with a girl feels incredibly genuine to who she is as well. It's so great. And she's so young and she's so herself. Yeah. Which I just, I love it so much. I think it's so great. My children, they love her so much. Oh, yeah. She's a deeply influential figure (laughs) in the lives of my children. So wait, your son is 13 and you yeah. have a daughter too. I have two two other daughters. Two daughters. A 15-year-old girl, mm-hmm. an 11-year-old girl, and then a 13-year-old. I have a okay. sandwich, a boy So sandwich. is your 11-year-old, was she wearing the bows? She didn't wear, she didn't dress like Jojo, but okay. she, they just ingested a lot of Jojo. Like she's, we, like we definitely, for her last birthday, got her Jojo balloons and she was like, wow. very happy about them. Okay. And was like, I'm too old for those. You know what I mean? She was like, I'm too old for those, but she like loved them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's part of the culture. Oh now. yeah. For Jojo sure. Siwa. Oh yeah. How important is it? Like speaking of, we don't have to talk about my kids endlessly. I've talked about them many times during this and I didn't expect to be bringing them up. So no, much. I like, I love it. I love talking about your children specifically. That's great. They're the only ones that we should be talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I do think, you know, it leads to a conversation about like just introducing kids to different concepts of masculinity, like what masculinity is. Right. How important do you think that is? I think it's incredibly important because I also feel that like um, so many of the things that we experience, especially in like American culture, North American culture, Western culture, is that like masculinity is like the dominant culture. Right. And that femininity in any sort of way is seen as less because of this like misogynistic, like subtext that we have. 
And so I think that when you see different forms of masculinity and that it's not a male trait and also femininity isn't equal to lesser than or not strong because there are so many feminine people, no matter how they identify, that are strong and are powerful and are leaders. And that like femininity versus masculinity is sort of just like a, a how someone is perceived by the world. It's not a real like, it's not a personality trait. It's sort of like through like through mannerisms and through like a style and expression of like how we perceive someone as feminine versus masculine. And I think that when you can see someone like owning who they are, I think that's like powerful, whether they're feminine or not. And I think that like the construct of like what is masculine and what is feminine is like where we get to like, there needs to be this like, there is like a huge binary divide. Right. When really there's not. And I think when we like let go of the feminine versus masculine, we see so many different kinds of people stepping up into power because we don't think of them as like, oh, they can only do this or they can only do that. Right. I mean, like, I think like when I think of somebody who thinks that they needed to be masculine to like be powerful, I think of like, I'm obsessed with like the Elizabeth Holmes case right now. Oh, yes. It, the famous baritone of Elizabeth course. Holmes. The baritone, um, yes. Yeah. She, I feel like was like, I need to be a bitch in the boardroom. I need to like, I really need to like be this masculine dominant figure. Right. And I think that like, that's sort of like a, it's, it's like what happens when you live in this culture and you think that that's the only way to succeed. And I think that like, when you see other people who like step into their own and they can be powerful and they can be opinionated and they can be strong in their own thing, I think that's powerful rather than masculine. But I think like we've always perceived that as like, oh, that's masculine. Right. Isn't it interesting how these binaries are just like fading from existence with each subsequent generation? All of that is just breaking down really quickly. Yes. With great results, actually. Even just to see like boys who are straight or gay or whatever, and like they paint their nails because they like to. I mean, I'm like, that is so wild to me. I mean, I can't paint my nails because if I did, it would look like I had five kielbasas attached to my wrist. (laughs) So that's why I can't do it. And that's the struggle I live with. Mm -hmm. But like, I just think people like to express themselves in different ways and they paint their nails because like, oh, that's a cool color. I'm like, uh, if I painted my nails in school, I'd probably be dead. (laughs) okay let's talk about your hosting let's talk about all this work that you're doing because you have you have like glided may i (laughs) say that (laughs) you've gone from like athlete to entertainer in a really for for me from the outside looking in like so seamlessly what's your plan for world domination i don't know what my plan is but i've always loved being in front of people yeah. And I've loved performing always. And I think for a while, like skating was that outlet that I used, but I didn't like competing. I hated competing mm. so much, mm-hmm. but I am competitive, but I didn't like the competition part of it. Right. But I love the adrenaline. I love the rush. I love learning. And I would say that like, I, um, I'm kind of an insane person. So like every situation (laughs) that I've ever done, I've tried to like really learn from it. Right. And um, when I was so 
lucky and grateful to be a part of your Christmas special. Oh my God, you were incredible. I mean, listen, this is greatness looking greatness right now. It's a mirror. Come on. on. (laughs) But I would say like, you're such a professional and uh, your delivery and like everything. It was like, I tried to learn from every situation and I feel like I've been really like lucky to meet people who I think are so funny on camera, so funny in the room that like I could kind of learn from that. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it really has helped me to like get a lot of different opportunities and still continue to be like working and like definitely changing gears from like being an athlete and really kind of stepping into this like entertainment side of it. Well, it's like, it's seamless. Isn't that so fun how you can watch, like, because you can, now that you're on so many different sets all the time and you're, you know, you're just in so many different kind of venues and you're like, not only watching the sausage be made, you're making the sausage yourself. (laughs) But like, I do remember being at The Daily Show and watching Pink was on the show and she did, we used to watch like the closed circuit TVs of all the sound checks and things. So everybody could watch the sound check or whatever from their office. And she was so in control of her own sound check, like absolutely getting what she needed from it. Like it was for her to, to hear and to be able to know where she was in the space. And it was like very clearly for her. And she had her kid on her hip and she was like kind of doing it all. And so professionally Mm -hmm. and not, like not meanly, but not trying to please everybody. Like it was so fun to watch her not be a people pleaser, but also not be mean. It was like yeah, right down the middle, mm-hmm. perfectly professional. Yeah. And I, I took so much from that, just observing, right? I think experience is like the best teacher. And sometimes yeah. like you don't want to watch yourself back because you're like, oh, I don't, that's cringe. Right. But when you, when you do... It can be really helpful. Really helpful. I even think that the way that I speak and the way that I talk has like completely changed in the last three years because of just doing something and someone's like, can you pick up the pace? And then I'll listen to myself from three years ago. And I was like, oh my God. That happened to me too. I used to talk so slowly at the beginning and I was like, oh, you have to enunciate everything. But then you just... You're just Elizabeth Holmesing. <laughs> right. And, and it's just know. like all of a sudden we're trapped and, and we're on court <laughs> for starting Theranos out of Walgreens. I shouldn't have done it. I <laughs> I didn't mean to misdiagnose all those people <laughs> with horrifying diseases. Oops. Oh my God. It's so great to talk to you. And I do ha- want to tell you that because you gave me a candle of yourself. I did. Really a selfless act. I love it so much and I still have it. Oh. And it's like a big I'm so happy. I hope it's like brought you good luck. Of course it's brought me good luck. I'm here talking to you again. This is very good luck. Okay. Here's my last question to you. Okay. And this is very important because I was just talking about this. How do you choose songs for your routines? Please tell us everything. This is the exclusive of how it's done. Okay. For when I know that you'll start competing. Yes, soon. I think when you're younger, you don't know what you're doing and someone just chooses it for you. Sure. Then when you get a little bit older, I think you can choose your own song. But I think a lot of like athletes get stuck in this trap of like you choose songs that you think people will like instead of choosing something that you actually like because you're not sure if they'll actually like it. Okay. 
And I think like the really great performers and the people who we watch during an Olympics who are like, oh my God, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. They chose that specific song because they liked it themselves. Okay. And it takes a specific personality to be a younger person to be like, I like this. I want to do it. It happens, Mm -hmm. but it's not usual. Mm -hmm. And I think like you usually see it in um, like the the older skaters who would be like, you know what? I've, I've been doing this for a while. It's my time to do what I want. Right. So I think the biggest thing is like, you hear something and you really want to use it because at the end of the day, even if it's not your cup of tea and you're watching a style that you don't like, mm-hmm. we as like humans are, we're not that clever and we're not, we're not, <laughs> How dare as, you. <laughs> right? How dare you. and I, and you hang up, my computer explodes, but <laughs> What we really like is like, we like watching someone experience a moment where they feel like they're in the sun. Like, you know, when we watched Susan Boyle, we weren't going, that is a gorgeous peasant dress. Right. Like we were watching like her have this moment and it didn't matter. Nothing mattered about anything else. Exactly. So interesting. So when I skate to Total Eclipse of the Heart, of course, I'm going to play the full song for everyone. Oh, yeah. Everyone has to sing along. Is that and and, and and you're actually going to do that faint your signature move in a program where you go everybody sing along and you kind of just like <laughs> raise your hands like this and you start you start yeah, <laughs> clapping totally, totally. Yeah. and everybody holds up their lighters and then we all experience communal <laughs> yeah. joy this is this is how we do it yeah oh my god thank you so much for coming on the podcast I love talking to you oh I it's love talking to you you're so pleasure. fab God love you well I hope you get to be with your fiance soon. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I wish the same for me. I really wish this for you. I want this to come true. Me too. All right. Thank you again. Thanks, Sam. Okay, we're going to take a, just a quick break here. <laughs> oh, that was okay. really good. Really good. He's so great. I really love him. He's awesome. Okay. We will never stop being impressed that Adam is an Olympic figure skater, something Mm -hmm. obviously we've talked about. None of us could ever do. Nope. But we don't think we could land these moves, but can you at least tell us what they are? We're going to give you a couple figure skating moves. Are they real? They are real. Even oh my they might God. not sound real. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Can Scary. you tell us mm-hmm. what a camel spin is? A camel spin. A camel spin. Is that where you hunch over and your one leg is sticking out and you kind of make a hump with your back and you just like spin in a hump? Um, (laughs) you said that with such confidence i did but it's the only one i could think of. yes i i almost don't even understand the answers that have been given to us okay but i think that's pretty much is it you spin with one leg uh it you spin on one leg and the free leg Uh is extended backward with a knee higher than hip level and the body remains in the spiral position while spinning that's basically what you said. So you make a little hump. I had it wrong. I definitely was picturing <laughs> not what you said, but something in the other direction. I was like picturing forward arms. Anyways, okay. Ooh, a camel spin is when you spit in the judge's faces like a camel. Sure. <laughs> camel spit, right? I think they do. And they're yeah. weirdly into it. Um, yeah. Okay, so the next one mm-hmm. uh, has a very terrifying name, uh, mm-hmm. Death Spiral. Oh, uh, 
Well, I know what that is. <laughs> um, I feel like that's just like, oh, a spiral, though. That's not a spin. It's a spiral. Maybe it's just like a little tight circle that you go around and you go so fast that uh, you're just like a whirly gig. And then you die. <laughs> you die, have to die at the end. <laughs> Did I get it? <laughs> yeah, to get full points, you must die at the end. You're, yeah. yeah, you're close. Mm-hmm. So it's a pair's move uh, in which oh. the man rotates in a pivot position okay. while holding one hand of his partner who is rotating in a horizontal position around uh, him with her body yeah. low and parallel to the ice. It's actually, I've seen this a lot and it's very scary. It is very scary. That's a definite death spin. Yeah. Okay, that's a much better answer. And then everyone just perishes. It's so sad. <laughs> you don't want to do it if you can avoid it. <laughs> Okay, do you know what a layback spin is? Well, I would have I would have actually said that the death spiral is the layback cuz the cuz the partner is laying back. <laughs> into so the a casket. layback into the casket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you position your arms like a vampire in a casket <laughs> and everybody comes and looks at your dead body. <laughs> sure, sure. Or No, I don't know what it is. Or uh this is generally performed by women because of course uh you it is an upright spin position where the head and the shoulders are dropped backwards and the back arches oh okay 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 otherwise known as a backward camel yes (laughs) the inverse camel exactly inverse camel okay (laughs) no problem (laughs) Uh, okay so this next one is called the swizzle oh a swizzle isn't a swizzle when you make squiggly lines with your feet yeah, feet are involved. Yeah, a method of two-foot progression, either <laughs> okay. forward or backward, by yeah. an in-and-out movement of the feet on inside edges. That's, that's, I think you're right. I That's the one thing that I knew, because when all of those people, God bless them, were trying to teach me how to skate, they were like, you can at least do a swizzle. <laughs> and I could. <laughs> I could swizzle. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the last one, could you do a twizzle? <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> a twizzle? So if... Okay, so maybe a twizzle is when you do that on your outside edge and you, uh, I don't know what that means. You do it on the outside edge of your skate. I mean, it sounds impressive. Right? Um, It is a traveling turn on one foot. Terrific. How could you name two things so similarly and have them be different? (laughs) So different. Okay, go ahead. Describe. Uh, The weight remains on the skating foot with the free foot in any position during the turn and then is placed beside the skating foot to skate the next steps. That's ridiculous. I think it sounds, it's overly complicated for what it is. That sounds hard. Yeah, we're going to rename all these things. Don't name it a swizzle and a twizzle and then make them so different. <laughs> the swizzle goes forward, twizzle goes backward. This is this is not complicated. Skate people. <laughs> right. Skate people. Skate, skate, skate masters, skate community, skate lord of skates. Well, now I'm going to be prepared for the first time he goes skating. Okay, you're He'll prepared. to do all of these. The camelback death spiral is your first... <laughs> All right. I hope you like my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. And if you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and follow full release in Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. Go for it. Spread the word about this podcast. In the meantime, keep sending us your comments and questions to full release at samby.com. They might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune in to Full Frontal with Smith B. Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS, and we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release.
This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf from TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron Reinstein. IT and technical production provided by High Tech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B. My aunt had a monkey. She had a pet monkey, and that's probably very illegal. And I don't know if you could still have a monkey, and it it would tear her house apart. That's the part I didn't tell you in the podcast. Is she would come home from work and it would be like it would have taken its tiny fingers and like unscrewed all the screws in her stereo and like dismantled, like taken the lid off, taken all the wires out, like you know, like and put it laid it all out so it could just like play with all the parts. And she was like, "Monkey, I don't remember its name." <laughs> all right, well, that's insane. But we do have everything we insane. need from Adam. All right, okay, <laughs> monkey, <laughs> monkey, don't do that. <laughs> 